Nathan here. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know we're now posting show notes for each episode on the Renovare website. This includes links to related articles, books, and other podcasts. And while you're there, do check out the newest podcast produced by Renovare, Friends in Formation. And right there, I can remember it now, I was 36, and I remember right there, that's it. That's the life I want to pursue. I want to, I want to give the rest of my uh, life to working out what does that mean and how do we operate in that. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and my guest today is hosting the next read for the Renovare Book Club, James Catford. James is getting ready to lead us through William Law's book titled, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. If you'd like to join us, begin working with this book April 12th. You can learn more and sign up at renovare.org slash book club. James Capford has a background in commercial publishing and was a CFO of the British Bible Society. He's currently involved with a number of Christian organizations around the world, as well as chairing the Renovare Book Club and teaching in the Institute. I talked with James over video call from his home in London. Hey, good to see you. Is there any way that... Uh, a title like A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life by Mr. Law that would make it past a publishing title review board today? Yeah, I think as a, as a publisher, I would be saying, could we work on that a bit, please? Could we just try something else? Um, it's not exactly an invite is it it's not an attractive invite that but um but there we are and the funny thing is that there's a, a version of this book out there where the publisher has actually said i'm going to make it easy on people and just call the book a devout and holy her life let's not worry about a serious call to <laughs> let's just call it a devout and a holy life which i suppose is a bit easier to accept but it's not really doing justice to the original there. no i mean there's something beautiful about it it just wouldn't wouldn't work in our in our day and age hey how did you discover this book well, it's interesting this because um, I think I first heard about this book in 1999 at a Renovare, what we called an international conference. When I say it was an international, I mean it was the whole of the United States. And, and, and James. <laughs> well, and James sitting at the back, probably somewhere. Um, I mean, I can't believe it was called an international a conference because I was there. Um, <laughs> but it was trying to indicate this is a really big conference. And it was a big conference. And it was a fantastic conference. And um, you can probably remember what the title was. Was it was it the Divine Conspiracy? It was. Yeah, it was a, an event fully focused on divine conspiracy mm -hmm. yeah and we took a chapter each um 
every talk was one in a chapter and and there was a chapter called god wants to be seen here's an interesting thing okay here's a very interesting thing so after the talk Dallas has finished. It's a fantastic talk. It, the chapter of the book is wonderful. And he brings up on, and your father, your dad, is um, you're hosting it. And he brings up one of our dear uh, colleagues, Marty Ensign, who some of our audience might have been heard of. And she's a wonderful person. And she comes up on stage. And your father's approach is always to bring the speaker up on stage and one or two other people from our uh, work just to have a bit of interaction, just a bit of, you know, chat about what's been said. It's a great idea. So your dad brings them up. Here they are. And out of the blue, your dad says, hey, while I have you here, let's talk about this book called A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Her Life. And um, he, he um, you know, springs it on us all. I'd never heard of it. I wasn't up there, but I was very interested in this. What is all this? <laughs> so I just wonder whether... What do you think? Shall we just, you know, hear him introduce this book, and then maybe I'll come back afterwards? I love it. I love it. Your dad's on the stage. He's holding this book, and um, he puts it up there. And let's see just what wanted he says. to mention, Dallas, this book. Now, with this title, it's called "A Devout and Holy Life." The actual title is, or the original title is, "A Serious." call to a devout and holy life. Now, you understand that this is a marketing decision to leave out that serious call, because most uh, books today that might even, I mean, if they even come close to dealing with the issue of devout and holy life, well, I mean, they could be titled something like a frivolous call to a devout life, you understand. But this is a very serious book. Now, uh, it was written a while back. Yes. <laughs> and Allison, a minute, I'm going to have you say something about this book. But I just wanted to say we worked hard. They've done special drop shipping of this, and they're in the bookstore. This is a $7 book, but we are presenting it for you at this conference for $3. I hope that every one of you can get this book because there is nothing like this book. Now, it's a bit... Uh, I mean, the English is a little older, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And say a word about it, will you, D.W.? best thing about this book is the concreteness of it, because it is nearly 100% discussions of ordinary life circumstances for people who are shopkeepers or ministers or mothers, daughters, sons. It's about how people uh, can manifest both the frivolous, the um, pointless uh, vanity of human life, and on the other hand, how they can, in all of those circumstances, uh, manifest the kingdom of God. It opens with a wonderful line. It says, anyone explain to me why they should be devout when they pray, I will explain to them why they should be devout in everything they do. It's a wonderful expression of some of the deepest teachings of the Christian church and the Christian gospel, uh, and although the language is a little older, I think you're going to recognize people you know as you read it. And you might just think that this guy has been reading your diary, uh, because you might suspect he was talking about you. 
I sure did. I knew he was talking about me. <laughs> no. A wonderful, wonderful treatment. No, I did not. <laughs> I did not tell Dallas I was going to ask him to make a comment about this. How many of you, if I just ask you to make a comment about that, could quote the first sentence of the book? Can you say, can you give us that sentence again? Uh, well, it isn't word for word, but it, I think it's pretty close. <laughs> it sounded good if anyone will explain to me, William Law says, why I should be devout when I pray, I will explain to them why they should be devout in everything they do. That's kind of simple. Yeah. Let me see how close I got. <laughs> now, that... If, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, no, not so close. <laughs> not so close. Actually, I didn't get the first sentence. Okay. They may. They it may comes be. a little further down the page. Okay, that's what. But that's you'll find right. it. It sounds wonderful. Okay, that is really that, uh, good. I, I very much like that. <laughs> I love that he. Uh, Looked it up and kind of owned that he, you know, didn't get it exactly right. I know. It's refreshing. It's refreshing that he doesn't get it 100% right. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but what an introduction, though. I mean, I can see why you, I, I assume you, you paid the $3 and got the book. I don't know. I think I possibly, I suspect what happened. This is a version of it. I said to Richard or somebody, I'm a bit put off by the fact that it's old English. So any thoughts on that? And somebody at some point told me about the the um, you know, edited version that we're putting out for this particular book club. Because somebody's obviously told me you need to read a more easy to understand version. Maybe they thought I wouldn't, you know, handle the <laughs> the hardcore version, so they gave me an easier version. But I certainly, I know that Richard, your dad, certainly thought this one was really good, and I found it really good, and I've compared it to the older one, and I just think it's a bit more. Why make these books harder than they have to be, is my argument. Right, right. How has it been helpful to you? My life, my journey with God has very much been on the borderline between faith and the world, church and culture, the world we're in and scripture. I mean, I, I think I'm very interested. My career has been working in the market square as it were as opposed to church and i'm always interested in anybody who's seriously trying to relate these two worlds together um, and i don't think there's enough examples of people who've really you know, struggled and my kind of experience is there are those who are kind of out there doing a job in a regular job and they will have some you know jesus orientation or they'll see that your work is done for two things you're either in a secular job that's an interesting expression anyway but you're in a secular job either to convert people that's the 
real a cause why why am i here to convert people or to raise income to give to your church those are the only two justifications and i'm always interested when i come across somebody who says i think it's a bit more than that i think there's a bit more to your work than just that and certainly uh william halor believed that and um he wanted jesus to be a lord of everything now that's not easy so when dallas comes along and others have done it john stott who was a great influence that i had these are all people who are trying to relate the scriptures to the world our faith to culture so that's why i think it's an important book and it was a pioneering book because he he really tried to you know emphasize this I want to talk more about the book, but but before we do, I'm just I'm just curious. How did that intersection play out for you in 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 your professional life? I was working in a publishing company. I was working at Harper Collins here in uh, London. You know, in in those terms, doing well. I was a young. I was pursuing a career. I was getting up, you know, um, you know, jobs and everything. I was p- publishing some really interesting people. Would it help if I said one or two of the people I sure. published? Uh, I, I mean, it was a great privilege to, to publish uh, leaders of our country. So I worked with uh, Margaret uh, Hatcher on some of her biggest work. Um, had some contact and worked with Tony. Blair. It was going really well. But my journey was my spiritual world was kind of over here. And my working life was way over here. And I didn't know how to, you know, bring the two together. I wanted to. But increasingly, my spiritual journey was not keeping up with the complexities and challenges of a very competitive i mean really you're only as good as your last big book in that world understandably um and um i know i've been brought up with, with a fairly primitive perhaps one way of putting it understanding of these things and the question was can god really handle this stuff you know can can god really handle a tough publishing commercial world i mean and i had lots of incidents constantly being challenged ethically you know which book to publish what to say how far can the author go i mean very hard hard issues so that's what i had to handle did it work did did you find an integration between the two well, I found the divine conspiracy, <laughs> and I found a vision. I found a vision of the world that I thought was consistent, certainly with a serious call as a book. And I think you can see the influence of a serious call on Talus and your father. I remember came to my office once. Your dad came to my office once, and he sat in my office, and I was, you know, he was just another author, you know, trying to do my job. And he said, he put his hands up in front of him and he kept them 
her part. And he said, as a child, I was taught that spiritual people kept these two worlds as far apart as possible, the God world and the job world and the world outside, and that really spiritual people kept them as far apart as possible. You know, you escaped the world to be with God. You went on retreat to be with God. You you try not to listen to pop music or watch films, and you certainly don't want to touch cash and dollars and everything, because it, it's untidy, it's secular, it's sort of you know, quasi-evil, and um, you, you keep away from all of that. And then your dad, in a beautiful way, he took his two hands, which were held up in front of him, and he brought the two together and intertwined his fingers and said to me, now I realize that the really spiritual people are the ones who can, who can bring the two together, who can bring God into the spaces that are supposedly out there and work at it. And he wasn't trying to say this was easy. And right there, I can remember it now, I was 36 years old, and I remember right there, that's it. That's it. That's the life I want to pursue. I want to, I want to give the rest of my uh, life to working out what does that mean and how do we operate in that and um it was a very powerful experience mm. um very powerful on me and how did um william law's work contribute to that the years later right well i love the fact this book gives examples of people so that's a lovely thing it's not just an argument the whole time he's not just putting forward ideas he's giving a little a little insight into people we think probably people he worked with or knew um, he probably changed who they were but i mean he's I, I just get the feeling he knows the people he's speaking of and that's rather charming because so many christian classics are just concepts all the way through so there's some nice little sort of just little insights i suppose to people i like the pragmatism of the book i think that's that's really really important you know it's it's practical he's talking about people in jobs he's talking about the sorts of people who um we're doing ordinary things, and that's not always the case. Often we think that you know spiritual people are working in the church. Well, he wasn't referring to that. And the, the last thing, I mean, there's so many aspects, but there's a lovely point towards the end, which I hope we'll get to um, in the book club series, which is about temper your spiritual disciplines according to your state of being what i mean by that is at least the way i understand that is he's saying as we pursue jesus in the whole of her life do bear in mind that your situation will change and there may be different things you do at different you know stages and and, and i sort of think he's saying look if you've had a bad night's sleep 
or you're suffering from a really bad cold, do be easy on yourself when it comes to, you know, your spiritual practices. And, um, you know, this is one of the many spiritual classics who I've experienced is that they're much more generous towards us than we are to ourselves. In the book club a while back, I, I led on a book called The Cloud of Unknowing. And um, it makes the same point, although there's a very big you know, challenge there, these books, and there's many others, many of the Christian classics are much more generous to us than we are to ourselves. They're much more forgiving. They're much more understanding. They're much more, come on, everybody, do what you can, but don't sweat yourself over things you can't do. Do you know what I mean? It's very, you're being drawn in. You're not being pushed in, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? It does. And and ironically, in, in a culture that wouldn't necessarily be drawn to a title like a serious cult of devote and, and holy life, ironically, you find some grace in this. Maybe realistic is probably the, a good word to say it. Help people a little that are beginning this book. And, and I believe in my last podcast with Keith Matthews, I quoted you uh, some reference to uh, old books uh, should be a, a small spoon. Yes? To, uh, approach them with a small spoon. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's that's what I think. I think with the older the book, the slower you know speed. Now that's not to be to do an insult on contemporary books, but I think the older the book, the slower the speed. And my my point was, these wonderful books you need to eat with a small you know, spoon, just one tiny piece, and work on that. Now with this book, it's not a big book. So it's not exactly hard. And um, in the book club, we divide it up and you only have to read, I think it's four you know, chapters. And so it's not exactly hard. But, um, but, but no, these books are best done with a small spoon. What are some of the considerations, maybe culturally, um, that, that people should come at this book with? Well, it's not so hard, this book. It doesn't feel so old um, because it's in a working context. Um, I mean, certainly he's very concerned about people pretending to be spiritual. And I think we probably can identify with that, but it was a particularly difficult issue. This is an English book, so William Law is English. Um, his... Um, birthplace and he spent his her life in England. Um, I know the place his, he was and the house and everything. And, um, you know, it's a small English village. And if you ever watch any of these English uh, dramas like um, uh, Father Brown or some of these other rather nostalgic English series, you'll see they're small and very intimate and everybody knows everybody else. And in that environment, it's quite easy to start to pretend you're more spiritual than you actually are. 
And he was very concerned about that. You know, you present well in church, you walk in with your prayer book under your arm, you wear a lovely hat, you talk and you say to the clergy as you walk out, lovely sermon, vicar, you know, that kind of image. And he's saying, I'm not interested in that. I'm really, I'm interested in, in not just who you are on Sunday, but who you are on Tuesday, Thursday at work. And let's see how you're standing up against that. And I think that's a really powerful, you know, challenge. So that was one of the issues you were concerned about, intense, small. And we we know what that's like, you know, people who find it really hard to be open and honest and um, um, with, you know, struggles. So I'd certainly want to be emphasizing that. One of the ideas he presents, this idea of everything being sacred um, and an opportunity to live into holiness – where does beauty come in in that? Well, I think beauty is a very important thing to come into it. And in the wider world, our culture is quite good at spotting beauty. I think we should probably join the culture in the conversation about beauty. Um, I think it's one of the best ways to start a spiritual discussion. Um, whether it's beauty around art or film or video or, I mean, there's so much around us that is beautiful, whether it's furniture or, you know, architecture, or there's all sorts of things. And I think it's one of the transcendence that allows us to, to talk to people and talk to ourselves. I think it's a truly spiritual. So beauty we, we often talk, it's an old idea that, you know, beauty, truth, and goodness, they're all ways to contact the transcendent because they're all pointing towards the ultimate beauty, the ultimate truth, the ultimate goodness. And if you can start a conversation about any of those, that often will take you to bigger things, bigger things like invisible things are real, or, um, you know, that there are, there's something beyond us. But I think out of the three, beauty is possibly the easiest one to start with. A beautiful piece of classical music or a beautiful piece of jazz music or contemporary music. You know, that's quite a good place to start. How does um, Law's view of holiness lend itself to engaging with beauty? Or does it? It does if you realize the beauty of um, you know, holiness. Um, isn't there a line in one of our um, hymns, oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of you know, holiness? And holiness is a beautiful thing. And if you meet a holy person in character terms, there's a beauty about them they draw us in so i think these things are very close to each other um, um holiness is a very interesting concept because we, we often talk about holiness as if it's always in relation to 
God, which of course is true, but it's God as the other, God as removed, God as further away from us. But one way to to talk about um, holiness is something that works well. There's something holy about something that works well. So if you hear a beautiful pianist playing the most beautiful piece of uh, classical piano and they're just at the top of their game you say it's a beautiful you know but you also might say it's you know holy there's something quite holy about the purity of the piece of music and i think that holiness is about something that works well and i i think there's a lot to be explored there um holy people are able to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done they are response able they're able to respond in the right way at the right time and once you meet someone who's doing that or increasingly doing it there's a beauty about it there's a holiness about it but there's a beauty about there's a simplicity about it which carries a depth of beauty Often the most beautiful art is the most uncomplicated art. Often the most beautiful piece of music is the most uncomplicated. It just happens. And I think there's biblical precedent for saying that uh, that holiness is beautiful. So in a sense, this is a work that helps us move closer into being people who function well unencumbered i think is the way i put it unencumbered unencumbered by all those things that interrupt us working well or put it a different way of all those things that interrupt us becoming the person the best of us the best person we possibly can be is the person that is free from all the things that interrupt us and those things can happen at work all those pride things and ego things and grasping things and greed things and looking good things and looking good on the outside but there's not that interior beauty so that's what this book is going to help us with in practical terms there are some practical things we're going to explore And that was James Catford talking about William Law's book, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. The book club will start working with this text on April 12th. You can learn more and sign up at renovare.org slash book club. I've done a number of podcasts with James, namely episode 142 and 172. And of course, you can hear him on the Friends in Formation podcast. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare podcast, made possible by donations from people like you. You can support this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find articles and other resources at our website, renovare.org. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, We love hearing your questions or thoughts. Email podcast at renovare.org or tweet at renovare. This podcast is produced by Brian Morricon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. 
Other music is by Lee Rosevere. And until next time, be well, friends. Be well. <laughs>